You are listening to Redefining Rural, a CSU Global-sponsored podcast dedicated to celebrating, bringing awareness to, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Redefining Rural. We are sponsored by our partner, CSU Global. And at Redefining Rural, we are dedicated to bringing awareness to, changing the way we think about rural education, and also elevating rural education in the state of Colorado. We're so happy you're here to join us today. My name is Danielle LaPlatt. I'm the Director of Rural Services at the Colorado Department of Education. I'm joined by my partners in crime, Kirk and Michelle, and I will turn it over to Michelle for further introductions for our podcast today. Thanks, Tineo. Great to see everybody's faces on Zoom. Uh, All of us are spending a lot of time in Zoom meetings right now. We've got, I'm Michelle Murphy. I'm the Executive Director of the Colorado Rural Schools Alliance. We are super excited. We've got three incredible leaders with us today. Douglas Bissonette from the Elizabeth School District, Kevin Ayton from the Bayfield School District, and Deidre Pilch from the Greeley School District, which is not defined technically as rural under the Department of Education's code, but Deidre is a longtime friend of rural and an incredible leader, and we wanted her to help us to join in on this conversation about how districts are handling this, you know, uh, 360-degree transition into remote learning for their kids. Um, And I'm going to pass it right off to you. I'll start. Go ahead with you, Douglas. And if you would, help our listeners understand the details of your district, where you are, how many kids you have, those sort of things, what your poverty demographic looks like. And then talk to us. Kirk, tell us again, introduce yourself and tell us again the first question that they're answering. Uh, so it's good to see everyone. My name is Kirk Banghart. I'm the Chief Facilitator of the Colorado Education, uh, Rural Education Collaborative. Uh, and we're going to start off once everyone introduces their district to also talk about how their systems are handling access issues and device issues for their at-risk families in their regional area and their districts. So um, I'm Douglas Bissonnette, Superintendent Elizabeth. Elizabeth is located just southeast of Denver. Um, if you go directly east of Castle Rock for about 20 minutes or so, you end up in Elizabeth. Um, it borders Cherry Creek and Douglas County School Districts. Uh, and we have about 2,400 students. We have a K-8 charter school um, and uh, have been for a decade offering uh, uh, preschool full and full day kindergarten. Um, our, uh, our free and reduced uh, numbers are around um, 20%. Uh, and the, um, we have two elementary schools, a middle school, uh, a high school, and then an alternative high school as well. Uh, most all are located right in the uh, town of Elizabeth, but we do have one of our elementaries on the northern end very close to Parker. So a lot of people commute into the Denver Tech Center. A lot of our staff live outside of the district uh, just because uh, there's not a lot of housing in the area and they commute in. So I'm from, from Colorado Springs, from the Denver area. Um, and uh, I don't know if you want me to leap into that first question uh, or do introductions with everybody else first. Why don't we finish introductions first so we can get a big picture sense of each of the districts? I know that's exactly opposite of what I said about a minute ago, but we'll roll with that. Kevin, why don't you go ahead? Thanks, Michelle. Um, Dr. Kevin Aiden, I'm the superintendent in the Bayfield School District. It is my 30th year in education in Colorado, and I've worked in districts big and small, including the Greeley School District, Thompson, 
Um, but this is actually the smallest school district I, I've ever served in. Um, we have 1,400 students, about 180, 200 staff members. Um, we're considered a rural school district in Colorado, but not a small rural school district because we have 1,400 students. We are 20 minutes east of Durango. So we're in Southwest Colorado near the Four Corners. Uh, we also um, have the Southern Ute Nation at our Southern border. And we have 70 Native American students of which Southern Ute is not the majority. I, um, they're not the majority. So we have, we represent 20 nations in those 70 young people, which is very interesting. Um, we're about 30% free and reduced um, across our district. And we're a big district. We run 20 some miles to almost an elevation above 9,000 square feet. I mean, um, square you know, feet above sea level, 9,000 feet above sea level, down to about almost Ignacio, where we're at about 5,500 feet. So in that, we're, we're, wide ge we're, we're long geographically, and all the schools are concentrated in Bayfield. And we run a K2, 3-5 middle and high school configuration. Um, and we're pretty typical as, as rural schools um, our size in Colorado. Um, that's, that's us in a nutshell. We, we truly believe that in, in our mission of each student each day, Wolverine Way, and that's really helped us through this. Thanks, Kevin. Deidre. Thanks, Michelle. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Deirdre Pilch, and I'm the superintendent in the Greeley-Evans School District in Northern Colorado. We're in Weld County, um, and uh, we, we have, we, you're right, we're not really considered rural, although we do have some rural part of our district, some urban, very urban feel to our district, and then some suburban part of our district. We have uh, just over 22,000 students. About 20% of our students are in district charter schools. Uh, we have about 65% of our children who come to us living in poverty and, and receiving free and reduced lunch services. Um, about 30% of our, our children are receiving uh, English as a second language services. Uh, we have over 100 languages spoken here. So our kids come to us speak, typically speaking one or two other languages other than English, and then we're teaching them English as well here. Uh, we are a refugee resettlement community. Uh, so that, that provides a, a lot of opportunity for um, second language learners to come to our community and, and for us to serve those children. We uh, also are right here with University of Northern Colorado and Ames Community College. So we have tremendous support from our community college system as well as our university system and a lot of partnership there. Uh, we, we have been a turnaround district with several schools at one time in the last decade that have been on priority improvement or turnaround in the state accountability system. And we're, we're proud to be turning that around and to have um, more schools at the performance level than we have ever had um, in District 6. It's my fifth year here as superintendent. I'm maybe the oldest one. It's my 32nd year in education. And uh, we're having a great time and, and really, really glad to be here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I mean, yeah, the changes that you've helped lead in that community are um, absolutely phenomenal. Kevin's shaking his head because he knows. Yeah, you're sort of legendary. So thank you for all of you. <laughs> Actually, you're sort of legendary. So thanks so much for your work. Deidre, why don't you hop in since we finished with you and um, we'll start with you this time and talk about how you're getting devices and um, online services out to your neediest yeah. populations. 
So I want to start with, we, we are really fortunate that in 2017, we passed the first ever mill levy override here, which allowed us to begin to push out Chromebooks to our schools. And we, we were close to having a Chromebook per every student prior to this hitting. We had not checked those Chromebooks out. We were not a one-to-one -one district, but we had most of the devices that we needed. So we did um, two different big group times where cars drove up and we deployed Chromebooks into the car windows. Many districts did this. Um, we put out over 12,000 Chromebooks in the last few weeks to get, wow. you know, to get our 22,000 students online. Um, our, our biggest issue has been um, internet. Uh, many of our families didn't have internet, and we have some rural areas that do not have, you know, good internet. Don't, they're not, they don't have access to broadband. So internet has been probably our biggest issue. We do have staff um, who have been calling and, and checking in with every single family to identify what are your issues with getting access. Um, and we, we're continuing to analyze that information so we know, do you have internet? Is the device working? Do you have enough devices in the home for the numbers of children you have? Because I think some families thought, well, this is short term. We can get by with mom's laptop or dad's laptop. And the reality is mom and dad are now working from home on their laptops. So then um, we've had to push out additional devices to meet the needs of those families. And then we do have about um, 250 or so of our 22,000 who are actually doing paper and pencil. And we're mailing um, learning packets home and then teachers and teachers assistants are calling and doing some instruction over the phone just simply because they couldn't or they wouldn't get access and um, so we're trying to really limit that paper and pencil work because we you know we we want kids engaging with teachers albeit it's we're not in the classroom and it's very different than classroom um, we do want teachers in contact with their students every week um, on a regular basis we expect students to be in attendance and uh, we've had between 85 and 95 percent attendance since we started online here three weeks ago. Great. Uh, thank you for that. Kevin, you want to hop in and talk about the things that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. It's, we were very fortunate. Um, a long time ago, Bayfield had passed a, a part of a, a, a bond and a mill to, be, to have one-to-one. -one. So actually grades three through 12, we have one-to-one -one Chromebooks. At our three five and our and our middle school, students did not take those home, and so as we redeploy every year, our high school actually, when you become a ninth grader in Bayfield High School, you get a brand new Chromebook and you keep it with you and you actually get to take it up, up on graduation. So our high school really wasn't the issue; it was being able to do what Dr. Pilch just described was that we we now have deployed over 700 Chromebooks, and you consider our eligible population in grades three through 12 was 900. So we've put 700 of, of Chromebooks in 900 out of 900 kids' hands through the car window to be able to do that. We were very fortunate to have those resources uh, to be able to do that. Just yesterday, we engaged with our last two kids that we felt like weren't engaging at our high school. And we, so out of 375 kids, we now have 375 kids engaging. And we know that high school's gonna be the hardest sometimes to do that. Um, so we feel very fortunate. We're getting 95 plus percent. Overall, we have about 20 families that we're working through, but we've been able to make contact with every one of them. This is where 1,400 kids versus Dr. Yeah. Pilch's 22,000 kids truly makes a difference. We can reach out and call and pivot and do the things. We can be a little more nimble and a little more agile um, in that way. So we feel like we have devices, 
But again, rural Colorado, here's the issue. You can, you can see the town of Bayfield and may not be able to make a cell phone call. And so if you can't make a cell phone call, then you can't get internet. And we do not have Comcast or Spectrum, a big cable provider. Durango has Spectrum and they have free internet. Well, there is no free internet and there's no fast internet in Bayfield. It's either wireless or DSL if you're lucky. And when everybody's on in the mornings and the evenings, that impacts what we can do educationally. We know we have about 10 families that have not been able to, that, that can make a cell phone call that do not have internet and we've ordered 10 devices and we will have those in their hands next week. And they're actually phone-based devices. Uh, uh, one of the vendors in our area found out they could turn the phone off, leave the data, leave the Wi-Fi. And so we're able to put those in the last 10 families that, that, that we feel like. But yes, um, not having internet at, has been, a, as I think, really what's exposed from this crisis is oftentimes rural Colorado, we have more devices than do the metros. Many more devices. We almost, a lot of us have one-to-one, -one, but when you leave our school buildings, you now have an internet and connectivity issue. K2, we are doing all learning packets. We are, we've set up a, a nimble website where we can put that out. Families come in, we do some exchange. That's worked out well. And at our middle school and high school, we have Tuesday packet exchange. For a few families, if they wanna run off paper, they bring a packet, leave a packet, we've been able to do that and our office staff has been able to do that, be able to handle that paperwork and logistics in the background. But yeah, I think the big lesson out of this folks is that, is that the, the promises made over the last few years to rural Colorado to beef up internet, that promises not kept have now exposed a problem. Yeah, I hope on the advocacy front that that's one of the silver linings that comes out of this whole thing is that we're really putting a spotlight on the inequities created by the lack of access. And just to clarify before we get to Douglas, it's my understanding, and I'm no expert, obviously, that there are places and spaces around the state, and it sounds like in your district, where even if the district were to purchase hotspots for right. their students, they still would not have access. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Correct. Okay. It, even in Greeley. Yeah. Even in Greeley Evans, yeah. So we do have hotspots arriving. They're actually here today. That it's very similar, I think, to the program that that you did in Bayfield, um, Kevin. And uh, but we saw we have families that those hotspots are not going to work because a cell phone won't even work there. And so um, to say, okay, go remote, get your kids online. We're going to do distance learning. Uh, it's much more complex than that. That is very part, hard for the front range to understand, I am learning. Yeah, part of our district, as I told you, is at 9,000 feet. Forest Lakes is the one of the highest concentrations of people, and it's 20 miles north of the town of Bayfield. Well, there are parts of that that are secluded, wooded. We would all love to live there. It's beautiful. They can't make a cell phone call, and they certainly can't get DSL because they're far enough away. And, and so we have some families who live up there in beautiful incredible Colorado locations and there are a few of them who are doing packet exchange. We just don't have any other option. Yeah. Douglas, let's turn it over to you. You've been sitting so quietly and seriously. I've been listening. There you go. I like your smile. Go ahead. Um, we, our, our approach has been very similar to what you've heard already. Uh, we did a survey um, early on. I mean, we, we were, uh, we had a mill levy override pass a year and a half ago as well. We A small portion of it was for technology. We split that between buying Chromebooks and providing training. We realized that you could buy a bunch of technology, but if you don't have the training, 
that it's really not going to have the impact. So fortunately, we have cadres of teachers in all of our schools that had really uh, dove deep into how to use technology uh, in the classroom that served um, as a kind of support. Um, but we, we did the same thing. We, um, we didn't hand them into the cars, but we had tables, we had schedules where we handed out uh, not only the Chromebooks, but also hotspots. Um, we, we handed out as well to teachers because not all of our, all of our teachers, right? You, you don't think about that, but um, we've also kept our buildings open in a, in a limited way. So we've been uh, exchanging packets there, um, pick up for instruments um, and things like that. So we've been a very limited staff, but they've all of our buildings have remained open. And uh, again, we just like the others, we have packet exchanges once a week. Uh, we, 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 we set them in a room for a while until um, people can pick them up. Uh, and we've, we've connected with 99 point something percent of our students. We have a couple, we don't know whether they've moved away, gotten, you know, gone to be with family in other parts of the state or other parts of the country. Um, and uh, so our participation rate right now is somewhere in the, the low 90s. It's, it's really pretty good. So um, that's, again, a benefit of a smaller district where there's a lot of personal relationships on multiple levels, not just between teachers, but with counselors or administrators. Um, so great. Well, thank you. Douglas, can you talk a little bit more um, of what your, your model of remote learning looks like for the different levels, for elementary, middle, and high school, and, and if they vary based off of, of what you see in your district? Would you talk yeah. a little bit more about what you guys are doing there in Elizabeth? Yeah, sure. We don't have, um, and, and this is a difference that I've seen with larger districts where the district puts out expectations and a model and, and things like that. In, in a smaller district, we don't have the staff to produce that, but, but it also doesn't work um, for a smaller district. Uh, and, and so um, what we're doing at each level is really a variation of what we were doing before and what our teachers were, were capable of doing, uh, both from the electronic perspective. So our middle school, they're all using Google Classroom because that's what they were using and the students were used to that. But that's not what's happening at the elementary or the high school level, just from a technology perspective. Uh, the approach to learning is really a variation of what the teachers were doing already. Um, so if they, if they were using a lot of um, worksheets, the reality is they've moved those worksheets online for better or worse. Um, if they were very interactive, that's what they're doing. Um, so our, a lot of our teachers are using Zoom um, we're do, there is a lot of interaction going on, um, and we found that to be to be really beneficial. But some teachers aren't comfortable with that, and so they're more um, pushing. You know, they'll create a video, they'll explain things, whiteboard, uh, do more of the interaction over over email. So I can't say um, that there's a particular approach that's for each level, elementary, middle, or high. Um, it's really more dependent on how that teacher teaches and their comfort level because that they're already having a transition to a new kind of method and context. So we're not really expecting them to change their basic philosophy and how, how, they, how they relate to kids. But we did ask all the teachers to spend the first week, even a little bit more, to establish a new relationship in uh, this virtual environment, which could be like phone calls and pack up, packet pickup. Um, and, uh, 
And to, to shift the focus from the priority being content acquisition and meeting con uh, content standards to say always prioritize the relationship and engagement. And what we've seen is our teachers uh, try to uh, use examples um, from what's going on now and try to make it more relatable. Um, so that, that's the nutshell of how we're, we're approaching it. Great, thank you. Um, Kevin, how does it look down in, in your district at the different grade levels? I, I think um, Douglas hit on a super important point that I've put out from day one. The three most important words that we're focusing on in the Bayfield School District are relationships, relationships, relationships. And being a little smaller, being a little more nimble, we're able to do that. And I think we, that's why we're getting high levels of engagement. We have also kept our building Wi-Fi on. We're expanding our Wi-Fi at our high school. So if you can get anywhere in our South parking lot, you can, you can get Wi-Fi. Our local public library has helped too. So they have really great coverage. And so other towns in our region also have found like um, an insurance agency that was willing to pay for Wi-Fi and they've tapped into businesses. So people in our smaller rural areas have tapped into Wi-Fi because as I told you before, K2 were doing packets. But then Google Classroom at 3.5, we had a deep Schoology implementation at middle school, which has really changed very little of what we've done. And then I know that Bayfield High School this last year received a governor's award for growth, one of only three high schools in Colorado to receive that award. But I have a, some really awesome high school teachers who still use chalk. Two weeks ago, they had no idea what a Google Hangout was. No idea. They all now know what Google, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, but they are amazingly effective with chalk. And now we've asked We're all like, what's chalk? Is that some new online it's, platform? Yeah, exactly. It nice literally track. took me a minute to be like, oh, chalk. Like chalk, chalk and erasers. Right. And, and so again, I believe in the power of public education. In basically two days, we asked educators to go out and learn all this stuff and implement. And guess what? In all of our districts, they did it. And, and I think we can't, we can't forget that. So, so our deep Schoology implementation at middle school worked great. What we did add were we quickly added 50 document cameras that are plug and play. So we're conducting class. So especially math and the core, we, we've had some schedules and we're taping those, you know, videoing those Google Hangouts. And so kids can watch them asynchronously later if, if, if their schedule doesn't allow. Um, but a document camera and a Chromebook and a Google Hangout, um, kids, kids and teachers get a lot done. And I've been observing those and seeing them. And it's been, it's been stunning to see, see the work that's going on. Now, that may mean that, poor, that student and that family have to drive to our public library to have if they want to participate synchronously. But I'll tell you, that stuff is, it's happening and it's happening in our districts. And so um, I think the big thing was having those document cameras. And like I said, I have high school teachers who were using chalk one day and now are using Google Hangouts the next. We've all learned a lot. Thank you. Deirdre, how, does, how are you seeing Thank you. it for the district for the different grade levels? Thanks, Kirk. It looks very different from elementary to secondary. So um, I want to say first that we were very fortunate that uh, this all came, you know, to a head and we were on spring break. So then we extended spring break another week. So we used spring break to actually have our folks put together 
the remote learning plan. And we'd started it in February because we saw this coming, but we were able to finalize it. So we actually pushed out uh, what teachers would do to teachers. I mean, so we didn't, and we used teachers to help us develop that, but it's not up to the teacher to determine what they're going to do. We pushed it out. At elementary, we, we um, the expectation is that kids are just focusing primarily on, on math and reading. So language arts and mathematics at elementary is our, our main focus. And we're using online tools we already had in place, um, iReady and Zern. And so then, then, so students are expected to log in every day to those programs and, and to do the work in those programs. And then teachers are making at least two contacts a week with every one of their children at the elementary and, and doing a, a 20 to 30 minute direct instruction with their child and checking in with them. In addition to that, our um, CLD teachers and our special education teachers are also checking in with their students um, twice, at least twice a week at elementary. Uh, so they're getting a lot of teacher contact and, and the check-in is usually through Google Hangout um, or on the phone if the parents didn't, don't want to do Google Hangout, but most of, most of those are Google Hangout. Um, and then at, like Bayfield, families are driving to our parking lots. They're taking children to grandparents to get access to the internet at those times when the whole class is supposed to be logged in doing some synchronous learning. At secondary, um, it, we are doing all of the contents and we had, we, we put, we put the curriculum together in Schoology because we already had Schoology in place. So all the curriculum uh, was put together in Schoology for teachers to use for these first four weeks. And um, then we asked kids uh, to log in at the normal time they would log in for their class. So every student is logging into their class. They're checking in with our teacher for a 15 to 20 minute lesson. And then the rest of the day for teachers is office time when they're not with that class for that 15 to 20 minutes. So that's a time when they can work with small groups of students or work individually with students. So uh, the models look very differently. We just put out a staff survey this week to ask staff how it's going, how, how much time they're spending in each of the different um, pieces of this and, and, and what they wanna do next. So some of the feedback initially was that they felt like we were doing this to them and why didn't we just let them go do this in Google Classroom? Um, within two days, that completely flipped and they were saying, thank you for giving us this. But what, what we don't know is if we decide to close for the remainder of the year, do they want us to provide that content and those lessons or do, do they want to develop them on their own? So um, that's, that's some work we're working on this week through a survey. I should have said it at secondary and the elective area, we did not push out the content for them. We're actually having students check into their elective class twice a week with our elective teacher. And then we, are, we have given the elective teachers um, that autonomy to do that work um, on their own without us pushing the content out to them. But we've pushed a ton of resources out our, you know, and I'll just offer this up. Our website, has, if you go into the staff resources area and you go into remote learning plan, there, our team has, they have, they've done amazing work putting resources together and feel free to use anything that's there um, if it's helpful to you. Thank you guys. So you've already talked a lot about the outstanding work that all of your school staff, your admin teams have done. What's one thing that you would want everyone to know um, that they may not know about the work that's going on in your district right now? Somebody jump in. All right, I'll start. Um, 
So, and I think Dr. Ayton kind of alluded to this, uh, but uh, I believe because of this, we are going to move K-12 education um, in a way that would have taken us a decade to do. But because of, of this opportunity to personalize learning in this way, I think coming out of this, we're going to see um, much better plans around personalizing learning for kids than what we've seen in the past. So I, I'm excited about that. The other thing I will say is that um, in talking with families, uh, and I intentionally reached out to some families over the weekend with, with children to see how it's going, and talking with families, they feel like, and their kids feel like, they're actually getting more attention and more personalization and, and more support because the, the student can initiate it, uh, through through this mechanism, and um, we we've taken you know we've given teachers the time, and all the other staff we have are still working as well to engage with kids, and so uh, kids are I think ki in some cases, the cases I talk to, uh, those parents and children are feeling like they're actually getting more time with their teacher. Um, and more attention to their learning than what they did in brick and mortar. So we got to figure that out when we get back to brick and mortar. How, how do we keep doing that? The other thing I want to say is we got to remember that, uh, you know, there's all the jokes on Twitter and Facebook about um, homeschooling now, but we're asking our teachers to do this. And yeah. in many, many cases, our teachers have their own children at home mm -hmm. who they have to also get to engage in their online school. Well, we're asking our teachers to be online teachers. So, it, you know, it's complex work. And, but but, but uh, Douglas and, and Kevin are right. People are doing it. I mean, it's, they are doing the work. It's really exciting to see how people just stepped up and said, this is my job. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it work. Well, and I, I think I can take off from that as well. I, I, I guess my hope, and I know that it's happening also from the social media and all you're seeing, is that there is going to be a renewed um, appreciation and support of teachers. Um, we're coming off a decade where I've said this before, I think teachers have had their front door kicked in. There's a reason why we're having a teacher shortage. And I hope that if nothing else, two outcomes come out of the backside of this, that we're all a little kinder, nicer, gentler, give each other some grace, and that we realize that that, that newfound love and appreciation um, for teachers. Yes, I think Dr. Pilch is right. We're going to, we've been able to do some things where we've moved the, the, the integration of blended learning, personalized learning ahead a decade in two weeks. Um, I think we've been able to do that. And I think another sort of neat benefit of this is because families are working, those teachers are working, mom and dad are working at the table. Our message to families has been let's let the kid work this out. Let the kid send the email to their teacher. Let's let the kid develop some autonomy. Let's not have mom and dad and everybody else jumping in because mom and dad have their own responsibilities. That message has resonated. So lots of parents have said, guess what? This is, work it out, kid. Music to my ears because we've actually returned autonomy to the teachers and to the kids. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So I think uh, that if, if, you, if anyone listening to this thinks about the number of phone calls or video conference calls or, or other ways of connecting have happened in the last four to six weeks, um, it's, it's really clear how much uh, work is really interdependent with other people. You, you really, you can work from home, but you can't work alone. You can learn from home, but you can't learn alone. And so there's just been a, a, an explosion of 
not only existing networks and finding ways to connect within existing networks, but reaching out to other networks, um, both as teachers, administrators, I think parents, other kinds of support. And that that's one of the things that um, um, schools haven't really been well designed for collaboration. And over the last decade, we've been, we're more trying to build in collaborative time and ways for teachers to work together. We, we don't have school, we're a five day week district, but uh, we just decided that Mondays were gonna be professional development and, and collaboration and planning for our teachers because we knew that that was gonna be stressful for them. And so uh, what we've just seen is, is a lot of impromptu um, networks coming together for how to share information about the content, about technology, about families that are struggling, how to deal with some of the social emotional challenges that families are experiencing. And that it's just, there's a lot of um, kind of, I, I call it impromptu, people coming together, say, let's just come together on this question. And maybe it's a 20 minute Zoom call. Um, and the other, the other side to that though, I think is that people are seeing the limits of this online approach and they're deeply wanting to connect face-to-face -face with their other students and with their, um, with their teachers. And that I think there'll be a renewed understanding of the importance of the social aspect of learning. All learning happens in a social context and we learn from each other and, and this format even this phone call, it has its limits. And I think people uh, will have a renewed understanding of the value of, even though there's challenges of bringing people together in a school and in a classroom, it's a lot more beneficial. I mean, we see that from our expelled students. They come back, you know, the parents, please, we want our kids to come back in because it's so hard to learn alone. Agreed. Thank, thank you all. We, I think it's great to hear what we're doing across the state. So thank you guys so much for your time. Um, Michelle, anything else you'd like to add? No, just again, such gratitude for you all being willing to take your time and all the, the yeoman's work that you and your staffs are doing on the ground. Um, keep on keeping on, as somebody once said. I can't believe I just said that. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good thank work, you. everybody. Keep Bye. it up. Thanks for listening to Redefining Rural, a CSU Global sponsored podcast dedicated to celebrating, bringing awareness to, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Facebook and Twitter.